0: because of that public relations effect shall we call it um, I know in my own life it's like compared to the years when I was monogamous and like the benchmarks or like kind of the the time frame that I would use for like when you tell people about, you know, your new boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, versus oh. when you bring them home, it's like now that I've been polyamorous for, for like over a decade now, it's like it's like that time frame is expanded by several years.
1: If you're happy with the same old ways of dating,
0: if you enjoy sucking at communication, and
1: you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you.
0: But you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships,
1: broaden your sexual horizons,
0: develop a better understanding of your
1: or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're joined by Kathy Labriola to talk about her upcoming book, The Polyamory Breakup Book. Kathy Labriola is a nurse, counselor, and hypnotherapist, and she's been in practice in the Berkeley area for over 25 years. Kathy's the author of three books, Love in Abundance, The Jealousy Workbook, and now The Polyamory Breakup Book, Causes, Survival, and Prevention. She has been a card-carrying bisexual and polyamorous for nearly 50 years uh, and was first on the Multi-Amory podcast four years ago, I think, and we're really excited to have her back. So, Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah, I think last time I it was... I thought I r- said something wrong the last time since I was never invited back. i you oh, know not badly well, uh, or get too drunk or something and they never invite <laughs> you back. <laughs> well, I've I had plenty of other fascinating guests to talk to in the meantime. Right.
0: Well, I think last time it was when the Jealousy workbook came out. Does that timing <laughs> work out? That was about four years ago? Yeah, yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just the cost of admission is writing a book. That's all it is. Uh, okay. Uh, i won't take
2: it personally.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've gotten to read... This book and really, really fascinating. Lots of interesting parts, lots of stuff to think about. And I guess I kind of want to dive in just with the basics here because pretty early on in the book, you cover the most common causes of breakups for all types of relationships across the board. And specifically, you uh-huh. list seven causes, you call them the usual suspects. <laughs> and I want to know, could we first briefly go over the usual suspects? And then after that, could we talk about uh, what you list is the specifically polyamory related causes of breakups?
2: Sure. Um, well, what I try to make sure people understand is that at least half of all breakups of polyamorous relationships have nothing whatsoever to do with the polyamory aspect. Mm. Uh, They're due to these seven usual suspects uh, that plague all relationships. And I think people that are polyamorous often are so focused on the non-monogamous nature of the relationship and, and working out those aspects they forget that they are just as likely to break up over incompatibilities around sex or money or domestic issues like the things that come up when you're just from living together that are make you incompatible uh the, that those are the first big three sex money and domestic issues and the fourth is uh what i call the uh, some incompatibilities different needs around uh, intimacy and autonomy one person wants to be that joined at the hip 24-7 type couple, spend all your time together, integrate your lives together. The other person wants a little more privacy, a little more time alone to have, kind of have more of a little bit of a life of their own. So, uh, mm. so those are the four uh, biggest causes that all couples break up, both monogamous and couples and individuals that are in open relationships. But uh, there are three other very common causes that destroy both polyamorous and monogamous relationships. And those are not really relationship issues. What I mean is that somebody, one person in the relationship has a problem and they bring that problem into the relationship. It's not something that's creative within the relationship. And those three issues are uh, drug or alcohol addiction or some kind of addictive behavior. It can be drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, anything else, any addictive problem, Uh, untreated mental health conditions Hmm. that affect the relationship, Uh, and the seventh is uh, abuse, verbal abuse or physical abuse, psychological abuse. Uh, I do want to mention, because I mentioned the uh, mental health conditions, I want to make sure that I'm clear that... People who have mental health conditions can be great relationship partners for whether polyamorous or monogamous if they are getting the support and help that they need to manage their mental health conditions. It's just when someone is not getting any kind of treatment or help, that can destroy a relationship regardless of whether it's poly or monogamous. So those are the big seven causes. And uh, people who are in polyamorous relationships are just as likely to break up over those issues as they are over things to do with polyamory. But uh, usually in a poly relationship, uh, it has, those issues have a kind of different spin, a distinctly polyamorous spin to it. Uh, For instance, with something like uh, sex, If you have incompatibilities around sex, uh, polyamory can actually solve that problem in many cases because each person can have as much or as little sex as they want or the right kind of sex they want because they can go elsewhere if they're not able to have that with the person that they're already with. But uh, it can destroy a relationship as well because if you're not having a very satisfying sexual relationship or not having enough sex or not having the kind of sex you want, and you go out and have another relationship, it's at least fairly likely that you're going to decide, well, this other relationship is much more sexually satisfying. So why am I in this relationship to start with? So uh, that often can lead to the demise of the relationship. Or conversely, it can be the opposite. A A partner could be pretty satisfied or at least willing to accept that their partner doesn't, have a big sex drive doesn't want sex that much but then if the partner goes out and starts having lots of great sex with someone else yeah. you're saying well wait a minute you don't want to have mm-hmm. sex with me but you're out there having sex with other people what's going on so that can be very uh distressing and can cause a breakup as well
0: Right, definitely. I was going to say that I'm impressed that you rattled all that off from memory. I shouldn't be impressed because yeah, you wrote the book. Impressive. I put the list in here. I was like, just in case, <laughs> I'm going to have um, the well, list I in there.
2: With lots of different kinds of sexual issues and problems. So it's, it's not really uh, hard to remember all that. Um, yeah, that makes it, sense. Sometimes it's uh, issues with the money. Uh, you know, if you're in a relationship, a monogamous relationship, that can break up because people have very different approaches to finances and money. But yeah. it can be... There can be kind of a poly spin on it if it's a polyamorous relationship that usually a partner's already unhappy about the way their partner handles money, but then that person is going out and spending money on another relationship or mm-hmm. they're not working that much and not making a lot of money, but yet they're spending a lot of time on this other relationship, and it, it can create a big tension in, in the relationship and cause breakup.
3: It's interesting you don't include in-laws in this one, because like I've heard like family of origin or, you know, people like that being a potential breakup thing in relationships in general. But that isn't here. And I I mean, I really agree with your seven. So that I just found it interesting that that's not one of them in addition. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, the way that uh, in-laws and family members have tended to cause problems is usually they don't approve of the polyamorous relationship in the first place. And so often uh, people are so estranged from their uh, families and in-laws that those in-laws can't really cause them much problem because they're not really having a close relationship Anyway, uh, the, the only time that has I've seen that destroy relationships are uh, I work with some people that are in my age group, which is you know, quite a bit older <laughs> than you are. <laughs> but uh, we're dealing with the elderly parents with Alzheimer's right. and like yeah. that. Uh, often t- I've seen poly families and couples and triads break up over the uh, person believes that the family should take in their elderly relative with uh, yeah disabled or has Alzheimer's or be, and needs to be cared for uh, or that the whole family should provide financial support to f- support the elderly relative and that can create a big problem because oftentimes when people you know get married or move in together as a poly triad or something they are not really thinking about those things and they're not really talking about well what if what happens if the same thing right. happens with uh, in in my age group people some people have grown children who end up Wanting to move back in and
3: then. Those the millennials. People, uh, what's that? <laughs> Those darn millennials all moving back <laughs> in with their parents well, these days.
2: <laughs> I've most often seen it when uh, the grown children are married, but they get divorced, and suddenly mm-hmm. your daughter and her two kids think they should move back in with you and your partner and your other partners potentially. And
1: that right. kind of uh, problem, y- so. It's that problem.
2: But usually say yeah, a mean, divorce of the younger generation, and there's a divorce and children involved. So.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, speaking of children in the book, you also kind of talked about the money problems having to do with um, child rearing and like paying for child care and things like that. A similar in a similar way to caring for parents where it's like, well, I just assumed the whole family is going to chip in for this child care, whereas someone else might go, wait, like this. This isn't my kid. Like this is yeah, your financial it's responsibility. Not my money. Exactly. It seems very similar, well- whether it's parents or children.
2: Yeah, and the, I mean, the worst possible situation, which I've seen, unfortunately, many times is an unplanned pregnancy in a poly configuration, whether you're living together as a group or not, suddenly, one or more people are being expected to support a child financially, help take care of a child, uh, one, of which at least a few of them had no role whatsoever in creating. Right
0: well, so before we move on to sp- speaking about the polyamory specific breakup causes, I you know we, we kind of been talking about this a little bit, but I was wondering kind of of these big seven of the usual suspects, do you think that there are particular ones that are more or less likely to be exacerbated by polyamory or by being open
2: uh, I think the, I think the ones that are the most likely to really be made worse and possibly end up being sort of the last straw <laughs> that destroys a relationship it are sex money and uh untreated mental health problems hmm. uh, because oftentimes if if in a kind of stable monogamous relationship uh they're even if they are not taking a lot of to care for themselves and their mental health condition, adding an outside relationship can create a huge amount of anxiety, depression, um, paranoia, irrational fears, and some sometimes some pretty bad behavior, unfortunately. Uh, and it, that can really create a huge problem in the relationship. Right. But like the also yeah. are, are big because usually, as I mentioned before, already someone in the relationship is very unhappy about the sexual situation or about their partner's financial behaviors. <laughs> and then that's, having another relationship in the mix just adds an extra layer of it where it becomes intolerable.
3: Yeah. So you have those big seven um potential reasons why a person might break up in a relationship, but then you also have four polyamory specific reasons. Can we quickly go into those as well? Yes. uh,
2: Those are uh, number one. Well, number one and number two, both involve picking the wrong partners. Mm. No surprise there, (laughs) but the first one, and by far the foremost polyamory reason, uh, polyamory related reason that poly people break up is, uh, falling in love with a monogamist. And the second one is uh, getting involved with partners that want a different model of polyamory than you do. They're poly, but they just don't, they want some, a different approach or a different style of of relationship. The uh, third one is poor time and energy management skills and behaviors. And the fourth, uh, which seems to surprise people that the fourth, the most The least common reason is jealousy.
0: I feel like I'm playing bingo right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking about my own breakup history, both on like (laughs) giving and receiving ends. (laughs) Yep, that one. Yep, 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 yep. And checking those boxes, Oh yeah, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I do want to make it sound like there's no
2: jealousy in the other three models of, you know, where you picked the wrong person or where you're... have bad time and energy management but in those uh, whether you pick a monogamist or whether you pick someone who wants a different model polyamory or whether you have really piss poor time and energy management skills uh you're going to have a lot of out of control jealousy in those situations but the jealousy in those relationships is a symptom not the cause of the breakup whereas Mm. the first situation that scenario jealousy is the prime cause of the breakup
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. it seems like a lot of these could really interlock and kind of get entangled with all these different multiple reasons that would just kind of like layer on top of each other. And I imagine sometimes it's probably like, I feel like sometimes it's hard to point to one singular cause in these Mm -hmm. situations that often these seem like these could all work together as like... (laughs) I want to say some kind of fucked up synergy could really work together with all these different causes to really make things spectacularly bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's never quite as
2: simple as, oh, it's just one thing only. That's the
0: problem.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, Yeah.
2: definitely are overlapping problems. Usually one thing is more primary than the others. Or one thing is, I just can't tolerate this. I Mm could handle the other things. They're bothering me, but they're not going to cause me to end the relationship. Right. So there is one thing that just becomes, okay, uh, this is a deal breaker for me. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So in your book, you mentioned this term that I really liked. Did uh, you call it high stakes polydominoes? Yes. And <laughs> uh, I guess sounds can you, uh, it sounds exciting, right? <laughs> yeah. High stakes <laughs> but But rather than this being like the thing you get to do if you're at the high roller table, this is a bad <laughs> thing that we want to avoid, right?
2: Uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, if,
1: no, no, no. I just, I just would love to. I mean, I could explain it, or you can explain it either way. Um, but I'm curious for you to explain what it is, and then maybe uh, some tips on how we can avoid it.
2: Okay, great. Well, at some point, you have to have Dr. Julie Fennel on your show because hmm. she's the inventor of this term and has. Uh, elaborated at great length about it on her blog. She has a blog called slutphd.com dot com, and her right. tag is, and that's Doctor Slut. Do you miss? <laughs> <in that show. laughs> I love that. Her theory about high stakes polydominos is she apparently has seen a number of these situations. I've certainly seen plenty of them, where one polyamorous breakup takes the whole poly constellation around it down with it. Oh boy, yeah. And the whole, it's like several relationships. It can be really, epically disastrous. Mm. Uh, and uh, so her, her opinion, and I definitely do agree with her that the most likely uh, thing to make this happen is being in a polyamorous triad where all three people are in relationship together.
0: Mm. We-
2: the gender or, or sexual orientation or anything else, the people in it, that all three people have sexual and romantic relationships with the other two. And that is where the relationships are most uh, dependent on each other and most interlocked. And uh, so one relationship falling apart is pretty likely to bring the other two down with it. Uh, and
1: now, can, can I ask some clarifying question about that? So in, in your experience, you know, working with lots of different uh, triads and things like that, have you because you mentioned also during this high stakes polydominoes section about like if a primary relationship breaks up, it's kind of <laughs> more likely to cause secondary relationships to break up. Yeah, uh, And I wonder if if you've noticed a difference with that, with these sort of we'll call them like interlocked triads. <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm. if you've noticed a difference where if it's very clearly like these two were the original with the longer relationship and then they've added this third, whether that's just as likely, like if that third relationship breaks up to break up the main couple, or if it only works the other way around, or if this is more stable, if they all met each other at the same time or kind of, have you you noticed any trends there?
2: Yeah. If you have a primary couple that's been together for a long time, Like ten years or more, and they have added a third person, and both of the people in that couple have become sexually and romantically involved with that third person. Uh, And if that, if one of the people breaks up with that third person, then it's likely that the one or one of two things will happen: Uh, either the the primary couple is fairly likely to be able to stay together, or they're going to break up, and one person is going to go off. With the person that's being broken up with by the other person sorry mm-hmm. if that's not too clear, but person A, B, and C, I know it's right. hard to keep it all straight um, so usually, in those situations if one, if if the couple has been together a long time, either they'll manage to stay together, and the other person will leave or go off you know, or be broken up with, or one person from that couple will abandon ship and go off with the newer person. So usually at least one of those relationships is going to end up surviving. But if it's three people that have gotten together uh, in fairly short order, like the couple, maybe there's been a primary couple that's been together a year or two and they add a third person, that is much more likely to take the whole triad down and all Mm. three are likely to end.
1: Fascinating, right. yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's just interesting. not enough
2: stability there in any of the three relationships, or as mm-hmm. enough longevity usually to make it work out.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, like if I'm thinking about it like visually, it's like you're saying in one where one of the relationships has been longer. It's like mm-hmm. one, of, one of the lines connecting the three points breaks, mm-hmm. and it's very likely that one or the other of the other two lines is going to break, leaving just one like line. Some
0: sort of peptide chain. <laughs>
1: yeah, we <laughs> <laughs> oh, know.
0: I mean, so wow. Well, uh-huh. it's just, my experience
2: is it's just as likely that one of the people in that long term couple is going to abandon their partner, their long term partner, and go off right. with the new person. But I don't mean to say that. Other. No, I don't. Neither one is worse or better. It's just it has surprised me that it yeah. is just as likely that that primary couple is going to break up. I think when a when a couple that's been together a while gets involved with a third person, they mistakenly think if anything goes wrong. This other person is, for lack of a better word, expendable. expendable I, yes. I think that's the attitude a lot of couples have, that if anything goes wrong, we're going to close ranks behind our relationship, and we're going to have to say goodbye to this other person. But that's it's just as likely to happen the opposite way, that someone is ready to leave that primary couple, that the original couple.
0: Yeah. I think that is kind of the funny thing with triads and quads, that form is, I mean... I guess it's not a really comfortable conversation to have, but it's like, like people seem to be okay to build these very interlocked, interdependent relationships, but very few people are having the conversation around. So what What happens happens if one of us is unhappy with this particular relationship or that particular relationship or that particular relationship? And, I mean, again, not a comfortable conversation to have, but I'm wondering if talking about those kind of logistics earlier on would help or if it would just still turn into dominoes because emotions come up and feelings and everything falls apart.
2: Well, no, it would definitely help to talk about it in advance. But would probably would be, What would probably be even more useful is that a lot of times in these triads and quads, one person is feeling coerced, whether they mm. say, not. And it would be even better if everyone would feel at choice to say, yeah, I know my partner's madly in love with this person and I know that they both would like me to jump on this bandwagon with them, but I do not feel romantically, sexually, emotionally drawn to this third person. There's a lot of pressure on that person because the two other people want this. And it's the same with quads when, because it's often two couples getting together. And usually if there are two couples getting together, there's at least one person and usually two that do not want this, Mm, but they mm. do not feel able to say it. They feel like, well, I don't want to be a poor sport and be the one that ruins the party. Everybody else wants this, but me, you know, or they think everyone else, wants. usually there's there's almost always one person and usually two because there are usually a couple people in that group, in that grouping of four that are like madly in love or just madly in lust, or they've got NRE going like crazy. Whoa. And right. they're, trying just by force of will to drag everyone else along with it. And, I, <laughs> yeah. and right. it's not like they're really saying, oh, I'm trying to force my partner into this. They just think, well, I'm so enamored with this person. You must be too. Or they're so great. If only you would try this out. You, I know you would love them just right."
1: Yeah,
2: know. Yeah. So a lot of these situations that I see, couple, I see couples and quads who are in the process of breaking up or one person is trying to break off one of the relationships almost always they say, I never wanted this in the first place.
0: Mm. And yeah. mm-hmm.
2: Sometimes the partners, well, you didn't say that. And sometimes I say, yeah, I did. I definitely said many times, I'm not sure about this. I don't think this is a good idea. I'm not, I don't really wanna do this. Uh, oftentimes they have made numerous attempts. They just haven't set a firm boundary and said, I mm-hmm. am not going along with this. No, this is, I am not part of this. So, but in response to your question, even if all three people are pretty enamored and want to do this, or even if two couples really want to do this, uh, they should really talk about it beforehand. Like, what happens if one of us wants to drop out of one of these or relationships or all of these relationships? How are we going to handle that? Especially, this is especially true when people... T- have sometimes you know one couple will sell their house and move in with the other couple, and then mm-hmm. suddenly, wow, you're really stuck. Or one person is you know moving from another city to move in with a couple or something like that. That can don't be, sign you, anything
3: yeah. in the first year.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, especially now with so many more of these long distance relationships, people are moving. You know, quitting their jobs, selling their homes, moving away to another city or another state, and then they're just sort of doomed. Once they get there, they find wow, mm-hmm. this is
1: For the ones who get it done. But, uh,
2: Jason, in answer to your question earlier about uh, primary relationship, if there are secondary relationships, are they all going to fall in the high stakes, probably dominoes or not? Was that what you were asking? Uh, yeah, just kind
1: of what trends you've noticed there, yeah.
2: Yeah, the the the, uh, the key is not trying to make the secondary become a primary just because... You have broken up with your primary or they've broken up with you. There's a very strong temptation. Uh, I mean, usually there's the thought, at least on the part of someone in that relationship, you know, one person or the other uh, is thinking, well, the only reason our relationship is, quote, secondary is because they're already married, you know, or I'm already married or the partner's already married to someone else. Now, that job open. <laughs> that right. spot is open and I'm going to just slide right into it. I want to be the primary now. Or the person who has split up with their primary is thinking, well, this other person, they're great. Let's make a go of it here and let's move in together or let's have a primary relationship. And almost always that just never worked. Almost always that is not going to work because the person was probably uh, secondary for a reason. Yeah, so I think it it rarely works to try to make a secondary relationship into a primary. Sometimes it does, you know. There's I never say never, but, but most of the time, you know, you discover that it was really at the right level before, and that but that often ends up with the relationship breaking up because one person or the other is adamant that they want it to be primary, and they may have wanted that for a long time before this happened, and so they're just crushed that that's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Like, sounds like various types of imbalances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to say it's it's ironic with the thing about triads and kind of, you know, everyone <laughs> having to be in that relationship together and that that actually makes it more likely that if one piece breaks up, the rest will break up. I think mm-hmm. it's ironic because I feel like the reason a lot of people do that is because it feels safer. Totally. Because they think, oh, well, I'm afraid of my partner maybe being too into someone else. So if I'm in that relationship too, I'll be more secure. And then Mm -hmm. maybe ironically, they're creating a situation where they're actually making all of those relationships less secure.
2: Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. And it is too bad because I think people are not really thinking through the possible consequences. And again, I do think there's an awful lot of pressure on people, even when they have a pretty strong kind of sixth sense or an instinct that, wow, this, we're making a terrible mistake here, they often will kind of leap and take that leap of faith, and then it just doesn't work out. Right. So, I mean, it is also true that uh, triads are really, the I think, the hardest. It's, so, it's just so hard for them to succeed. Mm. Uh, three people trying to either live together, or even if they don't live together, three people trying to have three relationships. I, I mean, what's the likelihood that three people... Are all going to be so compatible, not only with one other person in that relationship, but with the other two, and be able yeah. to make it work. And right. my experience with quads is that almost always a quad will eventually end up as a a triad, or just uh, the two couples will switch partners. That happens a lot. Hmm. Two couples get together and they end up switching partners eventually and going off as two separate couples. So. And it's not that there's anything wrong with these people or these relationships. It's more that it's just, it requires such an extremely high level of affinity on so many things.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's one person you can live with, much less two or three. (laughs) Right.
3: Kind of to piggyback off of that, are there ways out there to avoid picking, like, wrong partners in open relationship situations? Like, are there really surefire ways in which to screen a partner early on?
2: Well, as I say, the number one thing is just to try your best to avoid falling in love with someone who has the tendency a tendency to monogamy, yeah. And that's hard really because, <laughs> number of people out there that uh, are oriented toward monogamy or they think they are, or Mm -hmm. they just, uh, they may somehow think they could handle a poly relationship and then it turns out they can't. So uh, they will try to convert you and you're trying to convert them. And that rarely really works.
1: Yeah. On both sides. Definitely. If like, if you really want monogamy, then don't date a polyamorous person, even don't though you're like, like, oh, but I love them. It'll be fine. It's like, no, that's a bigger incompatibility than you think on both yeah. sides.
2: Yeah, I mean, I hear people almost every day saying, but he's so perfect for me, <laughs> or but she's so perfect for me, or she's my soulmate. And I'm like, well, yes, she's your soulmate, but you know, you're poly and they're monogamous, and that whether you think they're your soulmate or not, you're going to be miserable together. Uh, yeah. Or when someone says, "Oh, they're perfect for me," I think, hey, "Yeah, except for this huge thing, it's <laughs> it's <a> huge incompatibility, totally <laughs> different kind of relationship than you want." So they're not perfect for you. I mean, I, I I think it's like people say, "Oh, he's perfect for me," except that he's an alcoholic or something. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's not that being poly or monogamous is like being an alcoholic, but it's just you're just that incompatible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's really a testament to the power of NRE that not only does it blind you to like the little red flags or the little flaws or whatever, but it but also the gigantic ones, the gigantic <laughs> ones as well. You know? And t- trust me, I've been on the other side of that where, where, yeah, like I fell in love with someone who was monogamous and because I was so <sighs> an NRE, I was like, that's okay. I only need this person. That's all right. Like I'm, I'm like full <laughs> of all the NRE chemicals. They're, they're scratching all my itches as it were, they're <laughs> checking all the boxes, you know? So like, that's fine. I can break up with everyone else and just do this. And then Literally, a few months later, is like, oh god, what a huge mistake! <laughs> what was know? I
2: thinking? Yeah, what was I thinking? Exactly, <laughs> what was
0: I thinking? And and I think, yeah, definitely, the same thing can happen on the monogamous side of thinking. Like, well, I don't know about this polyamory thing, but it feels so good to be with them now that sure, I can handle whatever. And and then it just doesn't turn out that way. Well, I do
2: think too that the confusing thing is that some people. Are what I call the bisexuals of the polymono spectrum. Some people can be perfectly happy in a monogamous relationship, and they can be perfectly happy in a polyamorous relationship at the with the right person or persons at the right time in their lives. Whatever you know, in what in a particular situation. I mean, for some people, it really is situational. But for some of us, like me, you know, I. I am just polyamorous and there's not really anyone at any point at any time that is going to change that. And mm. there are some people that are truly monogamous and no one's going to change that. But I think it's hard to tell. I think a lot of people who are monogamous have to try a poly relationship in order to discover that their relationship orientation is fixed. It's mm. fixed. At the monogamous mm-hmm. end of the spectrum. It is not. They are not in the bisexual camp between the right. and the monogamous. Yeah. A lot of
0: people are. And how
2: do you know, really? I mean, most people have to try it.
1: Uh, I mean, I would argue the same with sexuality in general.
0: Yeah, definitely. Totally. I want to clarify on that a little bit because I want to ask about what I feel is maybe trickier to screen for. And that's figuring out, you know, screening for that incompatibility of like, yeah, we're both non-monogamous, but we want a different kind of polyamory or non-monogamy. Like, what's Mm. the best way to kind of I you know, figure that out early on? Or is it possible to figure that out early on with a new partner? It is if
2: you know what model works for you, and if they know what model works for them. But oftentimes, either you are not sure or they're not sure. I mean, if you know that you're in this in some kind of primary secondary model where you have a primary partner, and you really don't have the bandwidth to have a second primary partner, or that's not, part of your agreement, uh, then you'll really be smart to try to get involved with people who are already partnered with someone else, uh, so they're not looking for that primary, or someone who's not doesn't really want a primary relationship, and there are certainly people out there that don't. Uh, the place that I see the most people getting in the most trouble with the uh, wanting different models of polyamory is... One person wants some kind of primary relationship and that is not available in this particular model that they're in. They've hmm. picked someone who's already partnered or they've picked someone who wants relationship anarchy and is not looking for any kind of, you know, living together or primary or marriage type relationship. So that's the, that, that's the problem I see the most. There's someone in the configuration that wants a primary relationship and that is not available to this situation.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, been, been, been on all different sides of that. Yeah, Yeah. 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 old news. (laughs) All of the above.
0: (laughs) Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. And um, in your book, you talk about managing the "quote unquote" public relations of a polyamorous breakup. So, can you tell us first of all why are we talking about public relations when it comes to a breakup?
2: Well, because so many people that I have seen have absolutely been blindsided by the extremely hostile reaction they get from everyone around them when they're going through a poly breakup, mainly because everyone, all the all the non-poly people around them, their family, their friends, their co-workers, etc., are assuming that the relationship broke up because it was polyamorous, which as I'm saying, is at least half the time is not true at all. Uh, and they also are usually gloating because they hmm. say, I knew this could never work and you deserved it and it's, you got what you asked for or something. You know, it's kind of that attitude. So uh, this is especially true if someone ends up like leaving for another person and right. then this oh it was the other woman that destroyed the marriage or the other you know the wife had a boyfriend or something you know and it was all because of this so called infidelity and cheating you know there's all this kind of uh totally imaginary stuff that people come up with to explain why this relationship broke up and you're not likely to get much sympathy from anyone because they were they predicted it they said oh yeah this will never work and they think that it didn't because it was a, a more Non monogamous relationship. So uh, I usually try to tell people to be prepared for that and be cautious about who they talk to about it and what you tell them. Certainly don't give them any ammunition to work mm. with, you know, to use against you and kind of throw back in your face. So uh, I often also tell people if you're getting in a new relation, getting involved in a new relationship uh, with someone, don't tell your family and coworkers and everybody about it right away hmm. because you know give it some time if it lasts a year or more then it's time to tell people and then it's time to if you want to take your new partner home to meet your parents and all but i see people bringing people home to their family after dating for two months and then they create all this big crisis in the family and then a month later they split up and then they're just embarrassed and they've put yeah Family through all this chaos and crisis, and being rejected by their families only to find out oh, the, the relationship never didn 't really last so why go through that? <laughs> why not yeah. just wait till you see this is really actually going to last it 's especially true for people who are new to polyamory if mm. they decide to come out to their coworkers and their families, and then they decide a few months later, you know this poly thing 's really not for me it 's very
0: embarrassing
2: mm. you know you 've exposed yourself to a lot of ridicule and abuse that was unnecessary.
0: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like because of that public relations effect, shall we call it, um, I know in my own life, it's like compared to the years when I was monogamous and like the benchmarks or like kind of the, the time frame that I would use for like when you, tell people about you know your new boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever versus uh, when you bring them home it's like now that i've been polyamorous for for like over a decade now it's like it's like that time frame is expanded by several years you know uh, so it's like so it is kind of like yeah yeah like what you were saying it's like well i'm gonna wait a year before i like tell someone i mean not that i'm keeping in the secret you know but before it's like public knowledge that it's like yeah this is one of my partners i'm gonna wait three years before they meet my family you mm-hmm. know Be- i think because of that because it's like it takes this extra time to kind of have that, that sticking power and that social proof of like, no, this is actually a thing. This isn't just some, you know, nutso polyamorous flinger or, or, you know, whatever people perceive it as.
2: Well, and I think, too, that you're uh, if you're if you're in a monogamous relationship and you bring the partner home after a few months, you're not likely to get that really like lack of approval and lack of acceptance from your family or your, if you bring them to your company picnic or something, you know, they're going to probably like the person and approve of it and say, oh, great, great. Sure. have got a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Uh, but if you're not really sure about the relationship and if you're, especially for people who are new to polyamory I mean, they're not even sure this is really for them, they're very insecure. And then to be like, Ridiculed or rejected by a family, or your coworkers, or worry about possibly getting fired from your job over it. You know, yeah. why put yourself through that? I mean, you have to feel strong enough that you can defend yourself and mm-hmm. defend your decisions and your relationships. And if you're not that sure about this person yet, or not that sure that this relationship gonna last, it, it it it's really gonna be hard for you to be to to really be articulate about defending your choices.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense.
2: And I certainly am not saying you should be in the closet or keep it secret or not tell anyone. It's just, you know, certain people that, are, that you can predict are likely to be hostile, which is usually your family. Uh-huh. And maybe uh, I would avoid that uh, right off the bat.
3: Yeah. So this have, is... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I just was going to move on to the next question. But yeah, if uh, you had one last thing to say, and go for it.
2: Yeah, some people have really taken a... a the initiative to take like a very proactive stance if they're going through a breakup to like even send out an email to their friends mm-hmm. saying this is what's happening trying to make it as neutral as possible you know you and your partner even if you're going through an ugly breakup you can agree on we're going to send this out to people or we're going to tell people this is the situation and we just want them to know we're splitting up and we're trying not to badmouth each other publicly and Dan, you know, albert we agree where we both will agree not to go on social media and you know vilify Beth, each other
3: everyone, yeah
2: everyone, a proactive stance so that you know you don't do anything you're going to you know, regret later
1: for a long time now we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories things like that it's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection
3: Yeah, that's kind of a good segue into this next question, which is another thing that you talk about in the book, but is there a, sort of a better way to do polyamorous breakups like that kind of enables all parties involved to have less pain and suffering?
2: Well, I the, the biggest predictor is whether you treated each other really well during the relationship mm. and whether you Try as best as you can to treat each other with care and love while you're going through a breakup. That's mm-hmm. easier said than done. But, uh, you know, if, if someone has, you know, done something awful, it's going to be hard for the breakup to be positive, whether it's, you know, monogamous or polyamorous. Um, and trying to get the support of your any other partners while you're going through the break really helps a lot. Uh, Being able to explain to them what's going on, tell them, you know, you're not really at your best and you're not going to be the greatest relationship partner right now because you're going through this traumatic breakup, uh, but asking for their support and asking for them to make it easier for you. Uh, Sometimes uh, when you're going through a breakup, you can get some agreement with your partner about you know, texting each other or letting each other know if you're going to be at like a poly event or a party or something so that you can decide if you want to avoid running into each other. Or sometimes people, I'm sure you've seen people do this, where one person will say, okay, well, I'm going to go to this event. You can go to that event. And, you know, Mm. while you're in the worst of the breakup. Yeah. Some people are also able to just transition more, a little more painlessly because, they can do it slowly and gradually. You know, when you're in a monogamous relationship, usually once you're starting to break up, you just kind of want to get it over with and, you know, move out and whatever else you want to do. You know, give them back their underwear that they left at your house, all that stuff. Uh, but with a polyamorous breakup, it's kind of in some ways it's like what's the rush? You know, you can gradually uh, do what is sometimes called graceful distancing to so, say, you know, I like that. We are moving away from having a romantic and sexual relationship. We have other partners and we're both moving more in the direction of making more of a commitment in those relationships or whatever's happening, you know, just deciding that, you know, we're just going to do this slowly and gradually so we can kind of not have any sudden, uh, trauma in our lives. And for some people, that works. Other people, it's more like, no, no, I just got to get this over with. It's too painful. Yeah. Okay.
0: So that does bring up a question that I think I encounter a lot with my own clients. Um, But I'm wondering what your opinion is on this. So, you know, I have a lot of clients, and I've done this myself many times in my life, um, feeling like it's necessary to have a very specific period of separation, whether that's we need to not text each other for a month or six months or whatever. And I'm wondering for you, do you, like, which scenarios do you feel like that's a necessary thing versus which are there scenarios where you feel like that's maybe not as appropriate to do?
2: Well, usually if you're in a primary relationship where you've been living together, maybe you have children together, you've kind of had this dream of having a life together and then you're splitting up. It can be so painful that usually some period of no contact is needed in order to then shift to being friends. So it varies from person to person. But for most people that have been in this kind of, any kind of serious or committed relationship, there's a kind of a grieving for like losing that dream that you had of having a life together and of having to give that up and shift to something else, uh, a lot of people are able to then shift to a friendship. If it's very hard to go from being spouses or or you know partners in a big way to suddenly saying, "Okay, we're just going to be platonic friends and have coffee once in a while," <laughs> it really doesn't happen so easily. But most people who are in what you'd call secondary relationships, or a little less serious, particularly if they're not living together, often are able to just say, you know, let's just see each other a little less, and they might be able we'll to stop having sex, and you know, we'll just kind of shift gradually over to platonic relations. A lot of people are able to do that without having that no contact period. What's your mm. opinion?
0: Um I think I tend to encourage people more often to do the period of no contact rather rather than not. Um I think I think it's what I find more interesting again both when I'm examining myself and if I'm working with someone what I think is more interesting is to examine what are the sticky things there that are making the idea of no contact feel so scary or so Uh awful. Because I think that's the thing is that it's like, especially in the situation, like you described where we were spouses, we were living together, we were together a long time, you know, that there can be so much resistance to even trying out even like a week of no contact or 10 days of no contact. Um, And so I see so many people who are like, yeah, I know, I I probably should, but I just I can't, I can't do the no contact thing Uh and just Suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer until it finally gets so bad that then in their frustration they're like, okay, I have to, I have to cut this person off for a month uh, or a week or whatever it is. Um, so, I don't know that, Yeah.
2: You know? So
0: that's what it comes to mind for me is kind of just looking at like, is there a way to help people kind of hack that to be able to kind of rip that bandaid off earlier rather than doing the whole we got to suffer through it until it gets so bad that I have to take this contact or take this period of no contact. But yeah, that's that's the stuff that comes to my mind.
2: Well, I usually ask people as kind of the litmus test for whether you should be in contact with your ex right now or not is: can you actually change your expectations? Oh boy, of that person, of that relationship, and of that interaction. If you're calling your spouse, or ex-spouse, or, or ex-partner, if you're calling them because you want them to tell you that they love you and that you're the most beautiful woman in the world. And all that. well, you know, that expectation is not going to be met if they've broken up with you. They're not going to say that. (laughs) Or if you have the expectation that talking to them is somehow going to reassure you of your importance in their life, you know, you're not going to get that expectation met. So, but if you're able to say, well, okay, I can change my expectation. I can just call and say, gee, I just was thinking of you, just felt like talking to you. I'm calling, just how's it going? What you've been up to? You know, if you're able to say that, or even if you're able to call and say, wow, this breakup is rough and, you know, I've been sad. How are you doing? Mm. You know, being honest about what's really going on.
0: Mm. Yeah, that expectation
2: is tricky. Expect it to be the same the interaction to be the same and the relationship to be the same. You're, you're just setting yourself up for more pain and suffering. And then you are going to reach that point where ah, it just hurts too much. I can't call yeah. them work.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I don't, I won't go down this path too far, but, but just that, that, that I've, I've seen a lot of people, there's actually people in my personal life right now, like close friends of mine. Um, I've, There's some people in my life going through some breakups right now, but uh, just witnessing that of like, even after the breakup, still holding that expectation of like, if there's something painful and there's a problem I have with you, you're still the person I'm going to take it to.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. Even after
0: the breakup and then getting disappointed when it's like, when it's not that same level of like collaboration or mutual care that we had in the relationship, it's more of this combative thing that, um, yeah, that seems to be really like a sticking point for a long time that like, Figuring out how to switch over those expectations. Anyway, just wanted to observe that. We can move on to the next question.
2: Or, yeah, you're still expecting them to be that person that you go to whenever you need support. Mm -hmm. And you have to start going to other people for that. Which, I mean, when you're in a poly relationship, often you do have other people that you also get support from, and you can really spread that around a little bit and not have that expectation so much of the ex.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, It's kind of similar, actually, to, you know, Dedeker talking about kind of after the breakup, continuing to stay connected and sort of going through this sort of suffering until finally it's like, okay, we do need to cut off contact for a little while to sort of get that reset or whatever. I think in a similar way, when it comes to deciding to break up or not, people can similarly get caught in this thing of just sort of like, well, I don't know if it's bad enough to break up. And so, mm-hmm. like I'm not very happy a lot of the time and maybe I recognize that and I've, you know, see people like be fairly clear about like yeah, I get that there's some incompatibilities here. Maybe they listen to this episode and they're like, "Boy, yeah, some fundamental incompatibilities here."
2: <laughs> but it's all your fault now they're going to break up.
1: <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's That's it's not necessarily a bad up. thing. <laughs> it's all what? my fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, we do like to always say on this show, it's not necessarily a bad thing to break up um, yeah. but for people who are caught in that deciding, should I stay or should I go? Um, do you have any sort of most important questions they can ask themselves or ways that you've found effective for kind of getting through that in one way or another?
2: Well, I, one of the first things I suggest people ask themselves is if I was forced to be in a monogamous relationship with this person, would I even feel they were like meeting some of my most basic
0: needs?
1: Hmm. And
2: and not that you're planning on being monogamous, but I think one of the dangers of being poly is that you can have relationships with people and be pretty unhappy, but because you have other relationships that are happier, you can kind of just tolerate that. And so sometimes it's hard to tell like, is it time to break up or not? but if you were if you were in a monogamous relationship with that person, you probably would have left a long time ago. Wow,
1: because I feel like I've actually seen this in like family members of mine or, or friends of mine in monogamous relationships, where <laughs> it's like if they have like a really close relationship with their family or they have like some really close best friends that almost like in a similar way can tolerate being in an unsatisfying, mm-hmm. unhappy, rela- like romantic relationship for longer. Cause it's like, Oh, well, monogamous
3: I'm, romantic relationship. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They, it seems similar where it's like, they're getting enough of those needs met by these friends or family members that they can kind of tolerate uh, a not <laughs> well, good people relationship.
3: Talk themselves into staying in a relationship for any reason. For any yeah, number of reasons, true. I think, yeah. on either side, whether you're monogamous or not, or polyamorous.
2: That is true. I, I do think, though, for a lot of those monogamous couples or you know, that you're describing, uh, they are also benefiting from this huge amount of family and societal support, mm-hmm. that their relationship is really strengthened quite a bit by that, uh, whereas polyamorous people in that situation if they already don't have the support of the family or friends or or coworkers and all that they are more likely to be so miserable they will break up they're not they're certainly not going to disappoint anyone a lot of these monogamous people they're so afraid of disappointing their families or friends by splitting up or you know my you know all oh, my fam- my in-laws love me or i love my in-laws or my family loves my partner i I shouldn't break up so i don't think we have that problem in feeling like we're going to let people down
1: yeah that's interesting because on one side or the other it's like you know on the monogamous side maybe people stay in relationships longer than they should because of that pressure and maybe on the polyamorous side it's like sometimes it's harder to make it last when it could because of that, you know, mm-hmm. polyamorous relationships are getting that pressure to break up, like you, you're never going to work. And monogamous mm-hmm. ones are getting this pressure of like, no, you have to make this work.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, you do sometimes see, I've certainly seen a few polyamorous people think, well, I'm going to stay in this relationship because I don't want my family to have the satisfaction That's of nice. Yeah. My- yeah, you're right. That's yeah. a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I certainly, when I was quite a bit younger, I certainly saw... Uh, gay and lesbian relationships where the families hated them being gay and hated the mm. partner because they were gay and yeah. it would stay longer than they should just because the partner was really the only support they had and they also didn't want the families to be right or had <laughs> yeah. to lay yeah. yeah, them from the start. Yes, yeah, so you yeah. were all wrong to be. so. That I don't think that happens so much anymore just because gay people have so much more... Uh, acceptance in society now than in the past yeah,
0: yeah that's true that's interesting so this has been no, yeah say what
2: they what they uh whether they would have stayed with this person if they were in a monogamous relationship that's one sort of way of just looking at well what are, what am i getting out of the relationship uh, you can and and what are the problems but you can also just take a, what i call a relationship inventory just say like well what are the good things i'm getting in this relationship? Mm. Hmm. Uh, worth being in this relationship and uh, is this relationship more romantic or is it actually more platonic now or is mm. this a primary relationship now or do I want to shift it to being you know less primary do I want to so some relationships you, you might be a lot happier and if you just didn't spend that much time with the person
1: <laughs> oh, and that sounds funny but that's benefit. totally true. true yeah
2: <laughs> so you're polyamorous you can you know change the agreement with yeah. your partner you know, they may not be happy about being demoted to more being more secondary, or they might be like, well, yeah, that'd probably be fine. So, I mean, both people have to agree that less is much better, or less is at least as okay as as more in terms of time and commitment.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, this has been a fascinating discussion. Um We could definitely talk about it for several more hours. But... <laughs> Uh, Before we wrap things up, can you let our listeners know where can they find more of you and where can they find your book?
2: Uh, you, you can find more, about, <laughs> more of me and more of my book on uh, my website, uh, kathylabriola.com. I have a uh, a webpage as part of my website that has a one-page teaser for each of the chapters in the book, along that. with uh, each chapter. Each of the teasers has a cartoon, a really great cartoon <laughs> from artist Lacey Johnson, who illustrated my book. Um, unfortunately, even though she made... Uh, sixteen great cartoons, one for each chapter. Only three of them ended up in the book due to oh. a situation with the publisher. So, uh, uh, but yeah. they're all on the website, and you can buy the books from my website. You can buy it from Thorntree Press, which is the publisher.
0: Excellent.
2: Very so cool. Kathy
0: is going to be sticking around for our bonus content episode, available for our Patreon supporters. Oh, I think in this bonus episode, we're going to be talking about the most important lessons we've personally learned from our own breakup, so we're going to be getting a tiny bit more personal there. Uh, So if you want access to that bonus episode, go to patreon.com slash multiamory so that you can get access to that episode as well as joining our exclusive community. So we would also love to hear from you about what's helped you during breakups um, do you uh, resonate with any of these kind of seven usual suspects or the four special polyamorous ones do you have any experience with that we'd love to hear from you the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or discord chat and again you can go to patreon.com/ multiamory to get access to those in addition you can share with us publicly on Twitter Facebook or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. You can leave us a voicemail at
1: 678-MULTI-05.
0: Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. Full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.